Welcome to Faith City Outreach, where your host, Marina Maria, reaches out to the world to discuss Christian topics and providing biblical solutions, as well as praying for the nations. Deuteronomy 31 verse 6 says, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. The music in this broadcast is provided courtesy of Zapsplat.com. Now, here is your host, Marina Maria. Faith City Outreach. This is Marina Maria with today's returning guest, Oscar Kanobla, who is a Holocaust survivor. Thank you very much for returning, Oscar. I want to share uh, some little anecdotes from, oh, let's go back to 1943, or even earlier, 1941. How about 41? 1941, we had to forcefully enter the ghetto. That was the time when we, for the first time, had to leave our comfortable apartment in which we lived from before the war and uh, had to report to the ghetto. It was compulsory. And um, the particular building which we were sent in was primarily reserved for people who worked at the time for the subcamp of Pomorska, which was the headquarters of the Gestapo in Krakow. My dad worked there at that time, and so that qualified our family to stay in this particular building. Not that we received any particular perks or anything, but uh, needless to say, we had to report. We were told that everything would be available to us for whatever we needed there just to bring our personal belongings. And so we came to this particular building, and uh, the man in charge of that particular building took us to a room, which was part of an apartment, which was in the apartment building, which was three stories high. The room was about 10 by 10, and it had a broken bed, which my dad had to fix for himself and for my mom which left the three of us kids to sleep on the floor because there was no room for anything else, even if we had mattresses. A 10 by 10 room was not enough for it. In fact, we had to take out the one chair, which was in there, and one dresser drawer to make room on the floor for us to sleep on. We were put on a starvation diet each each member, each, each person who entered the ghetto, the starvation diet was 480 calories a day. Now compare this with a Big Mac today, if you go and you order one and see how many calories you eat. So imagine 480 calories, and by the way, everyone, everyone has to report every morning to go to work. So to start with, we're sleeping on the floor. In the wintertime, it is extremely cold in Poland. It's uncomfortable to start with even in the summer. But your mom, a wonderful lady, with a smile on her face, she would say, get used to it. He says, your body will get used to the floor, and the floor will get used to your body. 
you will share it. It will not be a problem. So whatever happens from now on, get used to it. Then on the other hand, you would say, besides get used to it, you have to stay strong. Very important to stay strong and stay resilient. 480 calories isn't much. I finally got a job to work in the ghetto. They put me to work on a garbage detail to pick up garbage cans and put it on a wagon which usually came from outside the ghetto. The wagon was pulled by horses and by a man who handled the horses. So, in short, we called him the horse handler. His name was Jasek. Jasek is a nice Polish name, first name. Young man, a Christian. Now, he never spoke to anyone. He just made sure that the wagon is loaded, covered with a tarp, he picked me, being the youngest man on the team, to climb the wagon and spread out the tarp so it shouldn't shift while he was going to the dump over the cobblestone streets in Poland, in the city of Krakow. And he said to me, why don't you just lie down on that tarp and hold it down? And I used to get a ride with him outside to get her to the dump and come back. Within a few days, he noticed that I was getting very weak because 480 calories isn't really enough food for a grown young man or young boy like me. So one particular morning, when he first drove in, he looked around, hustled something from the knees of his wagon, and gave it to me and said, quickly run it home. It was wrapped in brown paper. It was a loaf of bread. A loaf of bread his mom no doubt baked overnight. Now something has to be explained to my audience always, and that is the fact that the Germans did not speak Polish and the Poles didn't speak German. So what did the Germans have to do in order for the Poles to understand what the laws are? They printed signs in two languages, thousands of them. And they had thousands of different orders and one particular one, one particular one, warned every Polish citizen, if we, the Germans, catch any Polish person helping a Jew, if caught, that person and their family members will be executed. Now here's Yashik bringing me a loaf of bread. And he, that wasn't the first loaf of bread. That wasn't the last loaf of bread. He used to bring quite a few of them. In other words, he would smuggle them in. And each time he was risking his and his family's lives to bring me that loaf of bread to help that skinny, dirty Jew. He wasn't supposed to do that. He wasn't allowed to do that. 
So what compelled him to do this? In your mind, I want you to come up with the answer yourself. What do you think compelled him to do that? His mom or dad? Or he himself? As a rule, in Poland, Poles didn't really like Jews. So what did compel him to take that risk and help the Jew? You know, the ghetto was being liquidated continuously, and each time they would black off part of the street. And one particular morning, yes, the street where we were working on was blacked off. The wagon was ready to go to the dump, and Yashik said, you know what, if we both go, chances are they're going to pull you down and you will disappear. Imagine the thinking of this man. So he threw the reins to the horses to me. He says, yeah, grab them. You go to the dump yourself. They're not going to take me. I'm a Christian. I'm a Catholic. Go to the dump. Stay there as long as you can. And I did. I didn't ever watch. I watched the sun go down. I figured it's time to go back. He was waiting for me. He told me it's a good thing that I went because the crew was taken away that day. That whole crew disappeared. If Yashik wouldn't have acted, I would have disappeared somewhere in 1942. A one man's action, a one man's decision, a decision which was against the law, but it wasn't against God's law, was it? It was against the German's law. But he had to follow somebody else's law to do the right thing. And he became my second upstander. And yet, Yashik didn't have a crystal ball to foresee the future, did he? Because only a year later, I was exposed to the Nazi who became my second upstander. It's almost like being on the same team, passing the ball. You know, the ghetto. Yes, I stayed alive with the help of Yashik. And that bread sometimes came in very handy, trust me. The extra loaves of bread, the extra slices, keeps you alive. And remember that cold day in the winter when it was freezing, when we have no heat in the apartments, because you had to have coal. And if the weather was zero outside, it would be zero inside, and you have no blankets. It's very cold, it's freezing, and you keep your piece of bread for breakfast for the next day. You hide it. And it's semi-frozen, and you gnaw on it, and you chew on it, and you finally get it down. And what do you do usually when you have a mouthful of crumbs? You swallow it, and you want to rinse it down. What do you rinse it down with? The only thing you have available is water. So you mosey on down to this kitchen. You have your cup, and you turn on the faucet, and there's nothing coming out. 
because the, in winter the water freezes in the pipes. But your sweet mom says, I think God was good last night. It snowed. Go outside and gather some snow and eat it. Test your water. So when I take the students on that trip to be with me, I said, you will be eating an awful lot of snow for two winters. The snow is filling and it is water. I don't know how healthy it is, but I'm here. Those are, those are little anecdotes, you know, which stay with you and, you know, the lead, it, it, the, the story continues, it's never ending. It's like a domino effect that one chip falls and brings down another one. And it, so it goes on, the ghetto's being liquidated, now I end up at the Pomorska in front of this mean German who doesn't want me, which has, uh, the story was told before. And it goes on, and then later on, even in that building itself, there are others who become passionate about looking at me, which most people don't understand is this. The Holocaust was a time when things were not available to you. So clothing, shoes, socks, and dresses, and pants, and shirts were not available. But where do you get it from? How do you, you outgrow all this? You're getting older, you're now 18 years old, you're 19. Well, your shoes are just barely holding together. And maybe you grabbed a pair of shoes a long time ago from somebody who you saw lying on the ground and dead and they might have fit you. So you take them off and you put them on. I mean, they're going to get ruined anyways. They're not good for that poor man who just died. So you wear this. And you, you work in this boiler room where everything is hot, uh, plates are hot as can be. You walk over, your feet are getting used to this heat. You know, you get accustomed to it, like Dad says, get used to it. Mom says, get used to it. And this officer comes by and he's burning some secret papers and I have to open up that gaping hole. And he said to me, he said, I those are the only shoes you have. And I said, yes, in my Saxon dialect. Now he's a big, big, big honcho man with four stars. No doubt has ordered many Jews to be killed. And he gives me the order to come to his office. And when I came to his office and stood there for five minutes without saying a word, he finally made out a piece of paper and gave it to me. And he said to take it to the shoemakers. It was an order to make me a new pair of shoes. A Jew. The shoemakers didn't, wouldn't believe me. They thought that I faked this piece of paper. I say, I dare you to go up there and double check, but you don't want to do that. 
bring your pair of shoes. And they made me a good pair of shoes while they were at it. They used the best leather and double soles and last a lifetime. I should have kept those shoes. How does that happen? How does it happen that the cook who had to cook for 250 officers, 200, a big kitchen, comes to my boiler room, hey, you, you, follow me. And of course me, obedient, have to follow. Go in the kitchen, behind in the back room there, there's a big chair with a big grinding stone with two pedals, and I have to pedal it while he's sharpening his knives. Of course he's talking to me and I'm getting winded. I'm hungry because my diet of up to that point was one potato a day and a pickle. That was my diet. And so now I'm winded and he finally is finished and he says in, in German to this head woman who speaks Polish and German because the girls who work there are all Polish. Feed him. Well, when that order came out in Polish, imagine there's seven girls sliding in with plates of food. Too much food. Sophie, however, says here, Take my container, take it with you. I cannot take it where we live because we're forbidden to take food. Says, share with whoever here, eat it here. Clean it up and then tomorrow at noon, you see this door, come to the window. Just show the, the container or leave it there. And I'll take it and fill it up and you're gonna eat what they're gonna eat from now on upstairs. Now how all this, how did it all happen? How did I get to this point? Now I'm eating like officers. No more one potato and a pickle. How did I get there? Who started it? Yashik. The farmer's son. Yes, the man who went to church every Sunday. Who believed in his God. He was responsible for it that I stay alive to the point where Eckert took over and then he says, yeah, I'll let you work here. So I'm working here. So now, uh, yes, I'm being introduced to the man in the kitchen, the man from upstairs, and I got the shoes. But if not for the first upstander, that never would have happened. I would have been dead. Do you know after the war, I was in a displaced camp called Traunstein. It's in Bavaria, not far away from Bursch's Garden. Long story, it's a very interesting story, but uh, the camp wasn't there. And it was somewhere else I was in a camp and we were told that we have to open up a new camp. We have to find a site. I asked the American lieutenant to show me the whole area, what's available. And I personally picked that particular place, Traunstein, because it was close to Birch's Garden. I knew there were a lot of Nazis there. And I figured this is going to be a good place 
to show your Jewish faces again. And uh, sure enough, when we got this place, it was very nice. And also I was aware at the time, I don't know if you're familiar with the name Eva Brown. Eva Brown eventually became Mrs. Hitler in the last few hours. Her parents lived in Traunstein. So I felt this would be a great thing to prove a point. So one day, my best friend, uh, who also is a survivor, had an operation and he needed ice. Now we didn't have refrigerators, so I had to go, oops, I had to go to the brewery to get some ice. I rang the bell, and who comes around the corner and stops dead in his tracks is the cook from Pomorska, a Nazi. He recognized me. He didn't know what to do. And I just, I said, I'm here for a piece of ice. And I explained what I needed. And he gave me, and I took 25 cents like Fennec out and I paid him. I had my bicycle outside. He didn't want to take any money. And I said, no, 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 no. I said, ice costs money. You have to make the ice. I'm willing to pay, I, said, I might have to come back tomorrow for some more. And I told him, I said, I need to make sure that he gets enough ice. I'm here nothing but for ice. I, did, I pretended I don't know him. I didn't want to spook him. After all, he fed me. So I can go on here for a long time. There are many episodes, but this is it. So thank you for listening, and I enjoyed sharing everything with you. I hope that perhaps someday I will have another opportunity to meet with you in person. Perhaps you will have an opportunity to hear one of my presentations. and. Uh, A lot of has to be said. You see, all this, most of it is in my book. And if the students read this, they get the idea. Of course, I reinforce it in, in person by saying, believe. Spirituality is extremely important. In my daily conversations, and they're private, but even if they're private, it is the same which I say and preach to the children. Be aware of your surroundings, because everything is alive. Everything needs to be taken care of. We are here temporarily. We keep us of this world. There will be others coming after that. So while we're here, why don't we leave it in the best shape we possibly can so those who come after us can enjoy everything? 
So be, be kind to each other. Respect one another. Love one another. Thank you. If you're a pastor or a Christian leader and are interested in being interviewed in this program, please email me at fcoprogram at gmail.com. Si usted es un pastor o líder cristiano y está interesado en ser entrevistado en este programa, por favor envíeme un correo electrónico a fcoprogram.com. If you are looking for a church in Phoenix, Arizona, I invite you to come to King Jesus Christ Ministry at 3106 North 35th Avenue, Suite 3. Their phone number is 602-688-8888. 602-688-8888. Si estás buscando una iglesia en Phoenix, Arizona, te invito a venir a King Jesus Christ Ministry en 3106 Norte en la Avenida 35, en la Suite 3. El número de teléfono es 602-688-8888. You have been listening to the Faith City Outreach with Marina Maria as she interviews Christian pastors and leaders to discuss scriptures and topics affecting the Christian community and to pray for the nations. If you need to contact Marina Maria, please email her at fcoprogram at gmail.com. If you are looking for a holy-spirited and bilingual church in the Phoenix, Arizona area, I invite you to King Jesus Christ Ministries at 3106 North 35th Avenue, Suite 3, Phoenix, Arizona. The zip code is 85017. The music used in this broadcast is provided courtesy of zapsplat.com. Until next time, Marina wants to remind you from Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit.